Welcome to Entrepreneur Decoded, the show where you'll find real conversations with today's most successful entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from unforgettable personal stories to exact strategies they use on a daily basis. Here's your host, Simon Sander. Hey, how are you doing? This is Simon, and thank you so much for joining me today. If Entrepreneur Decoded Podcast has given you any value, please leave us a quick review on iTunes. And now, let's get into the show. Today's featured guest is Dr. Susan O'Malley. Susan, welcome. Thank you, Simon. Dr. Susan is a former emergency room doctor turned speaker and author. In her book, Tough Cookies Don't Crumble, Turn Setbacks Into Success, she outlines the strategies that transformed her from college dropout and secretary to emergency room doctor and entrepreneur. Susan, you've had a really interesting journey, so tell us a bit more about yourself and fill in any blanks from that intro. Sure thing. So as you mentioned, I was an emergency room doctor and I've now turned entrepreneur. And uh, it was a bit of a different route than a lot of people take. You know, a lot of people step into their careers through what I call the front door. You know, they know exactly what they want and they, you know, they just walk right on through. I uh, walked into both of my careers. Actually, I think I stumbled in through the back door both times. And I, uh, to take you back, when I was a young girl, I dropped out of college after the first year because I had no goal or direction. And I took a job as a secretary, which is a noble profession, but it was really just never for me. And by age 30, I went back to college and I was actually in a whole different program, but I found while I was in college that I had a love of science and a curiosity about medicine that I didn't know existed, and which is how I set out on a path to become a doctor. And I studied very hard uh, for the next three years, and I graduated at the top of my class. And if you can believe it, I was rejected from every medical school in this country. Why? I had, uh, well, that was a great question. I had no idea why. You know, when, when people put together, when admissions committees put together a medical school class, it really needs to be diverse. You know, I mean, we could fill every medical school class with, you know, white men or, Asian women or, you know, because we're all at the top of our class, you know. So it's really, there's really no rhyme or reason to sometimes why you get accepted because I was at the top of my class like everybody else. And uh, I was devastated. I mean, you know, at this point I was 33 and it had taken me that long to figure out what I wanted to do. And now I was about to be shut out of it. And perseverance really kicked in for me, and I just decided, no, 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 I have got to put myself through this again because I am not ready to give up on my dream. And applying to medical school, Simon, is a year-long process. And I, 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 I did it, and the second time around it worked, and I was accepted three weeks before school started. But life had really, really changed for me because at this time, I was 35 years old, I was six months pregnant, and I didn't have a husband. And people asked me, well, what are you going to do? 
And I said, what am I going to do? Like, how do you choose between those two things? I'm going for it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going for it. And um, when I got through medical school and graduated, I decided on a career in emergency medicine, not because I had any love of emergencies, but because I had a five-year-old son and I was still a single mom. And I needed to find a way to incorporate medicine and single motherhood so that it was going to work. And the shift work of the emergency room enabled me to do that. And that's how I stumbled into the emergency room. And I found when I got there that I was perfectly suited for it and that I loved it. But it wasn't something that I, as I say, walk through the front door, say, oh, I know, I want that. How many years did you work in the emergency room, Susan? Uh, probably altogether close to 10, a little bit less than 10. So let's start with a good story. and uh, Let's fast forward a bit. Tell me, how did you go from being in an emergency room to starting your own business? Sure, love to tell you that story. So I left the emergency room, well, I was pretty close to 50 years old and I was getting really tired. You know, it's a, it's a young woman's game. You're working around the clock and you know, you really have to be, you know, have a lot of energy and, and I just wasn't really loving it anymore. And believe me, I loved it. Oh, I loved it for a good long time, but I just wasn't loving it anymore. So I took a job in a clinic because basically for the, for the schedule, again, for the schedule, because I would, it was nine to five Monday through Friday and I could sleep in my own bed every night and be home with my son. Cause I used to jokingly say I was raising my son by telephone. I was at, I was at the hospital so much. And so I took a job in a clinic, um, which was a, a work injury kind of a clinic. We saw a lot of back pain and bumps and bruises and that kind of thing. And during my year at the clinic, I saved two lives, people who had no business being in the emergency room, one man who had fallen off a ladder the day before and was seen um, in the emergency room, I mean, people rather who had no business being in a clinic. One gentleman had fallen off a ladder the day before and he came into the clinic the next day. In the meantime, he was seen in the emergency room that day, came to the clinic the following day to follow up and he actually had, one lung had actually collapsed and they sent him out of the emergency room in this perilous condition. This man could have died. Uh, another man was tarring the sidewalk in the city in 90 degree heat and was having a heat stroke. Again, another person who had absolutely no business having been sent to the clinic by their employers. And so I saved two lives that year and I sat down for my end of the year review and my chairman looked across the desk at me and he said, well, he said, I want you to know you're doing okay. And I, Why did he say that? I thought, what? No, I thought, no, he didn't just say okay. I mean, it was, I mean, at this point it was like a cartoon, you know, like you see the mouth moving, but you don't hear anything coming out because my, my own thought, I'm saying, did he really say okay? I've been working since I'm 16 years old. Nobody has ever said okay. And well, it turned out that the reason he said okay was because it was a three-tiered system at the, at the clinic, which was associated with the hospital. You either got fired 
you got a middle of the road, okay evaluation, or you got, you know, the, the you know, a, a stellar, you know, basically you were offered the chairman's job. And so everybody got a middle of the road evaluation, which is what I got too. And in that moment, I just sat there and I realized, I don't know where I belong, but it's not here. I know that. I know I do not belong here. And I went home and I sat down with a paper and a spreadsheet and I figured out exactly how much money I had and how much, you know, how much time I could be me before I would be homeless me. And I walked into his office two days later and I said, this just isn't going to work. And I gave him a two-month notice and I left. And I had been itching to do my own thing, but I didn't even know what it looked like. But I knew that this was my opportunity. How much money did you have saved up at this moment? Oh, not much. I mean, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars I mean, like, because I had started 10 years behind everybody else, you know, I was now 35 when I started school. Other people start when they're 25. So I was getting out and other people had a 10, my age had a 10 year, you know, gap on me that they, they had 10 years of investing and 10 years of, of saving that I didn't have. When you were writing down these notes to yourself, uh, were they your dreams and goals or what did you write down exactly? So I wanted to do my own thing and I wanted to do something that would help women. And it was so very interesting because around this time now, I was 50 years old and I was starting to notice changes on my own face, aging changes that were really very distressing. And because of my relationship with so many physicians for all those years, I was able to have off-the-cuff conversations with plastic surgeons. How do you fix this and how do you fix that? And the answers I was getting were just appalling to me. Cut this and pull that. And I thought, oh my goodness, I, you know, there's got to be a better way. And when I couldn't find the better way, I realized that this was the opportunity. And I opened up a medical spa that was dedicated to helping women navigate aging without surgery. Interesting. How do you do that? You know, it started out, you know, because in 2002, when I opened the place, it was a brand new field. There were just, for the most part, it was dermatologists and plastic surgeons who were doing a little dabbling in non-surgical work. But the field has opened up so broadly now. And it's basically injections, Botox and fillers and machines where I can tighten up your skin with lasers or radio frequency machines and skin care and all kinds of things that will, as I tell my ladies, I can help them look like a more relaxed, less tired version of them. You must have been pretty stressed because you had just a few months uh, worth of money saved up for food and the other expenses, and now you started investing into your business. Uh, what was that like? So I had I I used my home equity line of credit to buy a piece of equipment, and I had everything. With a business was paying for itself as far as bringing in the rent and the 
um, you know, the utilities and all of that within a few months. So that was work. I wasn't making any money, but at least I wasn't losing money. But, um, you know, you can't sustain a life on that. I mean, my, you know, my son was, you know, a teenager at that point. You can't sustain a life. And I reached a point where I actually had to borrow money from uh, family and friends because it was do or die time. Either this business was going to get off the ground or I was going to go back to the emergency room. And I just didn't want to do it. And I, I just knew, okay, you know, I don't have the money, but other people do. And and so between my home equity home equity line of credit and um, and the the goodness of family and friends, I was really able to get over a startup period and get it moving. Susan, you didn't have any business background when you started it, and you uh, invested seventy five dollars for a quick ad in the newspaper, and then you started waiting for calls. How many people called you? Nothing happened. <laughs> Nothing happened. And to show you how naive I was when I first started the business, I was so filled with blind optimism. I really thought it would be up and running and be really successful within six months. But I never factored in a budget for advertising because in the emergency room, we never advertised. So I, you know, I never even factored in that budget. But, um, And so, and here I was because I didn't have the money. I was the receptionist. I was the cleaning lady. I was the doctor. I was the accountant. I was everything. And it was very distressing, you know, when when the phone wasn't ringing. And so that's when I had to really start getting creative. And someone had suggested to me, well, sending out a newsletter. I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even have a computer in my office at that time. It was 2002. I, you know, I had one computer at home. I didn't have a laptop. I had nothing. I was sending, I was writing emails. I was writing rather, making up on the computer at home flyers and putting them in the mail to the small mailing list that I had. I was going around all the, to the neighborhood with flyers about, you know, we have yoga classes and we have this and we have that. And I mean, I was doing whatever it took. I rented a space in the library and, and you know, sent out flyers, sent out. I walked them all around. You know, uh, I'm giving a lecture on, on successful aging. I mean, when you reach a point where you're running out of money, you get very creative, Simon. <laughs> You do, yeah, you do, yeah. and that's that's an interesting part of human mind. If you have a lot of money, especially when it comes to startups and uh, growing startups, uh, companies tend to spend a lot of money on things that don't matter. But if you have a non-existing budget, as in your case, Susan, you came up with quite creative ways to get those clients in. So tell me, how did you acquire your first client? Ah, uh, good question. I think. You know, I don't remember. It's been such a long time, but I can tell you it was one of two ways because I picked a location because it was all services that were geared to women. I picked a location that was two doors down from a hair salon. So there was a constant stream of women that walked by. Nobody really opened the door, but there was a constant stream of women that walked by. So my my earliest clients either came from just walking by and out of curiosity alone opened the door or it was from that or it was from that $75 ad that is smart that is yeah. really 
brilliant because if there's an existing audience walking by, eventually the sign, you probably had a sign up, right? Like, Oh, I had a huge sign up, but it was, it was 2002 when medical spas were brand new. They were coming up in New York and in Los Angeles, but in Connecticut, I think I was the first person to open up a medical spa and no one knew what it was. So women would walk by and not half of them wouldn't even look at the sign. The ones that did had a dazed and confused look on their face and women would open the door. And because I was sitting at the reception desk, because I didn't have the money to hire anybody, women would ask me, look at me and say, a medical spa, what is that? Do you do physical therapy here? I mean, people had no idea what I did. So how about today, Susan? Um, the company has grown a lot. You guys are really successful. What are some ways you acquire new customers? I'm sure uh, there are some strategies you used to use back in the day that still work today, but what are some ways you acquire clients that really work uh, today? So, you know, the, the old tried and true strategies really work, especially for a brick and mortar business. You, because it's not up to your customer to know that you're in business, it's up to you to let them know that you're in business, to remind them that you're in business. So I sent out a newsletter every two weeks for years. And it wasn't just a newsletter that said, oh, I'm having a special on this or that. It was an article about something. I wrote so many articles. I used to say I've written more than William Shakespeare. I mean, I was so sick of writing articles. But it would be amazing to watch the phone ring for the day or two after that newsletter hit everybody's email because I was reminding them, hey, I'm in business. I now write articles for a couple of local magazines because my, my audience is local. I've also written articles for Entrepreneur Magazine. And the speaking has also really um, even though the, the speaking is now more about business than about beauty, I still have gotten a lot of clients from speaking. Did you enjoy writing those articles? You said you were fed up. Uh... Oh, I did. I did enjoy it for, for years, but I reached a point where, oh, I just, and you know, you know when it really happened for me when I wrote the book, because I was at that point so tired of writing i thought oh i can't i can't write another word so i kind of recycle the articles because no one remembers the articles that i wrote 8 years ago <laughs> so you wrote the book uh, tough cookies don't crumble uh, turn setbacks into successes and uh, there you describe the strategies um, that transformed your life and kind of went over the mistakes you've made and how other people can avoid them. Uh, why should anyone pick up this book? Well, that's a great question. You know, a lot of times we get in our own way and we are very hard on ourselves. And believe me, I was the queen of getting in my own way and being very hard on myself. And I still am, you know, but, but now I know that I'm doing it. You know, there was a time when I didn't even know I was doing it. Now I know that I'm doing it. But the strategies that I talk about in that book are relatable to anybody and easily, you can, you can apply them so easily. Simple things like embrace embarrassment, you know, People get embarrassed and they right away, the first thing they do is, is retreat. You know what? Some days everything works. Some days nothing works. You got to laugh at yourself a little bit and be willing to be embarrassed. You have to be willing to ask 
you know, ask for help. Oh, Simon, this is such a big one. You know, especially you reach a certain age and you feel like, well, I should know how to do that or I should know that answer. And when you have to ask somebody to help you or to help you figure it out, it it makes you feel very vulnerable. And so it's kind of almost giving pre- people permission to to just to be themselves. Embracing embarrassment is an easy concept on paper, but we all know how hard it's actually to pursue in real life. So give us an example from your own life, Susan. Oh, well, I'll give you an example from medical school because I was a brand new mother and I was also a medical student. And these are two 24-hour jobs that I needed to combine into one 24-hour job. And I was, you know, uh, people would sit in the classroom and the first two years of medical school are all classroom work and the next two years are all uh, work in the hospital. So I'd be sitting in the classroom and I'd be sitting there. Now, I'm sitting with 114 other people. There are 115 of us in the class and everybody is the best and the brightest. Everybody came from the top of their class. That's how they got in there, from being at the top of their class. Now, 115 people cannot all be at the top of the class. Somebody's going to be at the bottom now. And I knew that I was not going to be at the top of the class, not because I didn't have the brains, but because I only had 24 hours and I had two 24-hour jobs that I need to get done. So I needed to understand the concept in the classroom. I didn't need to understand all the nitty gritty, all the down and dirty, but I needed to understand the concept because when I went home, I was now a mom. I was not sitting down and studying like everybody else who was sitting down and studying in their study groups. And so I constantly would raise my hand in the classroom and ask, excuse me, I'm sorry, I don't quite understand that. Can you go through that again? Now, I used to sit in the back of the room because I was so exhausted. I was falling asleep, and I thought, well, it's it's much less rude to fall asleep in the back of the room than the front of the room. So I would sit in the back of the room. And from my vantage point in the back of the room, I could see people, Simon. I saw, like, elbow somebody next to them, like, oh, doesn't she ever stop, you know. But the problem was, you see, the situation was that they were all going home, and in the privacy of their own home, in the privacy of their little study group, they were figuring things out out until two and three in the morning, I didn't have that luxury. I needed to be vulnerable vulnerable, and be embarrassed in front of 114 people that I didn't know well to say, excuse me, I don't understand it. Can you do it again? And that takes guts. That is hard. Well, it did take guts, but you have you reach a point in your life where you have to make a decision. Is being embarrassed more important Or is accomplishing your goal more important? And I say, let your goal trump your humiliation, which is what I did. Susan, I'm so happy your business is doing so well and congratulations on that. And thank you for sharing ins and outs of your business. Susan, I want to switch gears a bit and talk about habits and routines and what you do daily to be successful. And you have a really interesting morning routine. Could you share that with the audience? 
So, you know, I think people are going to be disappointed with my morning routine because I hear other podcasts and people talk about their morning routine and they meditate and they write in the journal and all this and all that. Simon, I get out of bed, I'm bleary-eyed, I want one good cup of coffee and I clown around on Facebook for at least 20 minutes. I find my best cat videos and puppy stories in the morning. (laughs) I really appreciate the honesty, Susan. You could have said uh, you meditate 15 minutes in the morning, then you go for a quick run and then you drink your cream smoothie but you were honest and that makes you happy i tell i tell people yeah i run i run from the couch to the refrigerator <laughs> how about uh, back in the day and were you a big fan of routines and habits yeah so there was absolutely no routine except for the set hours that i needed to be either in the classroom or at the hospital but when you have a baby and you are you know trying to get a, a lot of stuff done. There was absolutely no routine. Um, I, the, the routine that I have now really is, you know, I, I have my set hours at the spa, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from 10 until 5. And so, you know, that is my, my clients are set, you know, so I, I know what I'm doing during that time. Um, as far as other routines, I, I, I actually am a family, a fairly organized person. I either write things down or I have a running list in my head and, and, um, you know, I, I can be very focused and get stuff done. There, there are other days where I just don't feel like doing anything. And if I have a day where I just don't feel like doing anything, then I don't do anything. But Susan, I think it's really important to mention that back in the day, you worked really hard to get to the place you are today. You know, you reach a certain age. I mean, at this point, I'm 65 years old and I have followed all the rules and done everything and been through medical school, raised a a happy, healthy, successful young man who's now 30 years old. Uh, I, you know, I've saved people's lives. I'm still running a successful business. I just feel like sometimes that's enough that I'm entitled at this point, you know, if I, if I don't, you know, like, like I set my own hours, I start at 10 o'clock, I don't work on the weekends, I don't work in the evening. I feel like I've, I've done that. I paid my dues and I've done that. Now, somebody that's 25, 35 years old and, and still needs to make a name for themselves, do I recommend that? No. I mean, at, you know, at 25, at 35, at 45, I was really hustling. But, you know, at 65, I have the luxury of kicking back. I think that is so important, doing what makes you happy. And uh, you're completely right. You can do that today because you've already achieved your success, but a lot of people haven't yet. Susan, it's been a pleasure and honor having you on the show. If you could leave our audience with just one final takeaway, one final thought, what would that be? The one final thought would be, you're never too old and it's never too late. I started medical school at 35. I started my business at 50, I wrote a book, and I started a speaking career at 63. So, and the irony is, when I was 25, I thought my life was over. I thought I had no options, and I would never amount to anything. So you're never too old, and it's never too late. Susan, you are completely right. Uh, Thank you so much once again for coming in and sharing your journey with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.